Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and today we continue our 32 for 32 series with a look at the Minnesota Vikings, 7-9 last year. Anyone's idea of disappointing considering some of the firepower they had on offense, but unfortunately this was one of the more lopsided teams in the league when it came to having a great offense and a horrifically bad defense at times. 1-5 start of the year, started to get things going in the midway section, and unfortunately a 1-3 finish to end things, giving up 26, 33, 52, and 35 points along the way. So plenty of work to do obviously on the defensive side of the ball but also have some moving pieces on offense so a lot to talk to and I have a very special guest on to help me do so he covers the Vikings at Purple Insider which you can find at purpleinsider.substack.com Matthew Collar who you can also follow on Twitter at Matthew Collar Matt happy offseason and thanks for the time man yeah I think you summed it up pretty well when you said 52 that was kind of the <laughs> uh if you're giving up six touchdowns to one player and 52 points you're probably not having a great season Man, it was it was funny. Like in August or whatever, they asked Mike Zimmer, saying, "Hey, you know, you lost all your cornerbacks, a uh, lot, lot of missing pieces, with uh, you know Hunter being questioned as well. Like, what do you think?" And Zimmer's response is basically like, "Well, I've never had a bad defense. I don't plan on starting now." Mike Zimmer has now had one bad defense in his coaching career. So uh, pl- plenty to talk about there. As usual, we'll go through three team needs and also a gut feel around recording this on February 5th. So we'll see what uh, Met Matt's kind of Nostradamus skills look like here early in the offseason. We'll get both offseason take and then get out of here. So Matt, starting things off, what are your top three team needs for the Vikings ahead of next season? Three are hard to pick. Um, <laughs> you mentioned in the cornerbacks, and I think that there's a lot of Vikings fans who look at the cornerback situation and say, oh, you drafted two last year, so you're kind of okay there, and you need to look at other places that are more problematic, which are obvious. I mean, the defensive line was a flat-out disaster. I mean, the, the two starting defensive tackles combined for 16 quarterback pressures. That's two players playing the full season as starters <laughs> that have a pressure rate that's lower than the guy that they let go. Linval Joseph, uh, he had 22 pressures for the Los Angeles Chargers this year. That's one nose tackle. Um, and and th- th- these guys didn't stuff the run either. So clearly um, the defensive line is at the very top of the list. I mean, if you look at any mock draft, it's Gregory Russo, it's Quiddy Pay, it's a defensive lineman who are, you know, maybe even Christian Barmore, um, maybe if they want to trade down and and think about him too. Those are the guys that are getting mentioned a lot. They also have a lot to look at in free agency too, because last year they tried to do the all in move with trading for Yannick Ngakwe. And that blew up in their face pretty fast because he was not a fit for Mike Zimmer at all. So they trade away Yannick Ngakwe. The Daniil Hunter situation is up in the air too, because there was a report that he wants to either be the highest paid player at his position or be traded. And that's coming off a season ending injury. So, you know, where does this stand between Hunter and the team is another big question. They need a lot more pressures. Michael Pierce alone coming back from an opt-out is not going to entirely change the face of this defense. So it starts there, but I have it sort of one and one a of the cornerback and secondary positions too. I I don't think that Vikings fans would say it's that close, but I think it's that close. Anthony Harris is a free agent. Cameron Dantzler last year got hurt three separate times. Jeff Gladney gave up one of the highest quarterback ratings against in the NFL and struggled down the stretch as a tackler, as a run defender. He was not great either. And so you get to a point where you say, well, all right, you've got so many things on this defense to juggle. How are you going to distribute your small amount of cap space, your small amount of draft capital now, because you traded away your second round pick for Yanni Kingakwe. So those are my top two. And then this is a hard one because I think you guys at, at PFF would say, certainly say wide receiver three. 
Um, because wide receiver three being Chad Beebe is just not acceptable in an NFL offense. That's going to be one of the top in the league. Like they have the potential to be, but I will say instead guard is a huge, huge need. Um, Riley Reef's status as left tackle is unclear whether he's going to be here next year and their left guard was literally the worst left guard in the NFL starting last year. And with a quarterback who doesn't move off his spot, you can't really have guards that are struggling that much. So that's, that's kind of how I would rank them, but I think that there's a lot of work to be done. Great points all around. I had secondary pass rush and offensive line as my three ones. You were a little more, more specific, which as you should be, that was great. Um, with cornerbacks, defensive line and guards. So I am with you there. And yeah, man, on defense, I mean, it's one of these things where, you know, PFF, we've done a lot of studies in the past, like what's more important coverage versus pass rush. And, you know, our kind of conclusion was that coverage, but you know, obviously if you can have great, at both like you should be doing that the vikings pretty much said well what if we just do neither i mean they did not have any pass rush at all dead last in pressure rate at just 21.6 percent and yeah you look at the cap situation they in 2021 dollars they have the 10th fewest devoted to the interior defensive line and the 11th fewest devoted to cornerbacks so yeah it's 1a 1b because you got to fix i mean either of these at one point because preferably you'd fix both and this is what happens when you pour a lot of money into a few players. They pay Anthony Barr $15 million on the cap next year. Um, Harrison Smith probably needs a new contract. Eric Hendricks is making a good amount of money. And of course, Kirk Cousins, uh, as it has been occasionally mentioned in Minnesota, <laughs> is taking up a big portion of the cap space too. And so with only a limited amount last year to work with, they decided to pour it all into basically a situational pass rusher who's more of a stand-up outside 3-4 linebacker instead of the defensive end that they had in Everson Griffin who played every play and it didn't work out no surprise but um, instead they really should have looked at veteran cornerbacks who are out there guys like Ron Darby or Dre Kirkpatrick there were a handful of veteran corners Logan Ryan was another one who gave their team uh, good contributions in the secondary and instead the Vikings chose to kind of rest on maybe Mike Hughes will work out after years of being injured and he got injured again maybe Holton Hill will work out who was an undrafted guy that they started day one and that blew up pretty quickly and then he got hurt and so I guess my thing is for this offseason are you going to learn from the bets you made last year and change those bets in order for them you know to, to work out for you and I think the best way to go about it is probably to wait till the second wave of free agency trust me I mean I would love on my podcast and website to have big splash signings and trades it's a huge boost for uh the old purple insider but the smarter approach is probably you need to bring in four or five guys to make up 15 or 20 million as opposed to just hey let's do that big splash yeah, this defense is not one player away from uh, getting back into the top part of the league by any stretch. And yeah, and that was what was, we, again, we saw this coming going into last year because Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, like all, literally all their starting cornerbacks were gone and they weren't very good anyway in 2019. So you didn't exactly blame them for not resigning these guys, but just not really addressing the position at all afterwards. I mean, it's no wonder that things got as bad as it did. Before we got on the gut feel round, you mentioned guard. And yeah, with the offensive line, it's tricky, man, because they were eighth in yards before contact per rush cousins had the fifth highest pressure rate but to your point uh you know it wasn't exactly like always on the defensive line i mean he had the 10th mm -hmm. highest rate of holding passes for longer than two and a half seconds so it was a little more scheme based with that now gary kubiak is now out of the picture do you think they're going to still be running a, a very similar offense so that they should maintain some of those uh, schematic advantages or could it be more important than ever to help shore up this offensive line 
Yeah, I mean, I think that they, well, for sure are going to stay with the same system because Mike Zimmer said that flat out that he wants this system to stay in place. He wants a Kubiak, Shanahan style, play action offense, big shots down the field. He said that this was the first time he felt like his offense was truly explosive this year, um, which maybe there's some dispute to be had there for some other seasons where they were decent, but um, still they, they had a lot of big plays, their yards per play, their yards per pass attempt, all these things were really good, but they had so many times where they were getting drive killing sacks, drive killing pressures on third downs and putting themselves in position to do that with kind of a run first approach. If you look at the you know run versus pass splits early in games, it's amazing how few passes Kirk Cousins threw in the first quarter. I think he threw under a hundred passes in the first quarter, which is just mind blowing for the year 2020. And so whoever comes in to replace him, whether it's Gary Kubiak's son, Clint Kubiak, who's on the staff, if they do co-offensive coordinators, if they hire someone else, they really need to push the sliders more toward being an aggressive pass offense, but they're going to stay with that same system and I think at some point too when you make the same mistake over and over and over with the guard position and you allow interior pressure to a quarterback who is susceptible to it he's not Tom Brady he's not tall it's I mean he really has the exact skill set that you would want massive guards protecting him and yet they've gone the opposite way and I totally understand how if you're ranking all the positions you say all right well if we got to cut from somewhere guard is a place to cut from but you win all in on a quarterback who is very susceptible to interior pressure and there's only so many times you can boot him out I mean you can boot him out on first down and second down but when it's third and seven he's got to stand there and make a play and that's been the biggest area of struggle and last year they made another bet on Dakota Dozier, a journeyman backup type of guy, and it blew up in their face. I mean, he played healthy the whole season and was just not capable of handling that role. So this year, they have to learn from that because they've just had this every year I've covered the team. They've had a different left guard. That's not even a joke. That's the truth. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's remarkable. So it, I think it's time for them, even with these other needs to say, you know what? Guard might not be as valuable to some other teams as us, but it's valuable to us. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we, we know what Kirk Cousins is, and that can be a very good quarterback when things are right around him. Obviously, he needs help, though. He's not going to constantly carry, you know, below average offensive line on his back. Get the dude some help if he is going to be your franchise QB. And that takes us right into the guff field round because I do think that is the big question on everyone's mind. We are recording this on February 5th. We've seen some uh, Kirk Cousins trade murmurs come out of the, uh, you know, reports here. Obviously, we already got Stafford in L.A. That could have been a potential destination, but potential Shanahan reunion in San Francisco. Francisco, what have you kind of heard, if anything, about the situation? And if, you know, they're playing close to the vest, just how do you see the Vikings QB situation playing out in 2021 and beyond? Well, it's definitely a smoke and fire type of situation. There are just too many people who are hearing too many things relating to Kirk Cousins and the San Francisco 49ers for there to be no connection. As Stefan Diggs said once, there's truth to all rumors, right? So, I, I mean, I, I do think that there's some reality to that, that Kyle Shanahan loves Kirk Cousins and that he would want Kirk Cousins there. And the biggest thing for Shanahan, I'm sure, is Kirk Cousins' health. If you're comparing the two quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo got his team to a Super Bowl. He led a top five passing offense in EPA. Like those are things that Kirk Cousins has not accomplished in his career, even when he's had good defenses and good playmakers. But 
Kirk Cousins has played 16 or 15 games if he sits week 17. I mean, he has been 100% healthy for his entire career as a starting quarterback. And there's a lot of value to not having to play Nick Mullins if you're <laughs> Kyle Shanahan. If you say these guys are pretty equal in terms of where they rank, but this one is never injured. I could understand why he would want to go in that direction for the Vikings though. It's very hard to work with the salary cap to make that fit exactly. If they're trading Kirk cousins, cause they take on a big cap hit, even if they trade him, unless they work out a new deal. And then now we're talking about juggling a lot of balls just to get this done. And uh, I, I'm still skeptical. I'm very skeptical. And also if the Vikings don't win a Kirk cousins trade, and I mean, everyone tweeting and all the reporters saying, wow, what a steal for the Vikings. If that doesn't happen, then it looks like an admission of guilt for the Vikings for extending Kirk cousins. Yeah. And so they not only need to make a trade, they need to make a trade that looks like they really want like the Stefan Diggs deal. Like they got a first round pick. Everyone said, wow, that's great return that they needed that they needed to draft Justin Jefferson. Otherwise they would have looked really ridiculous trading Stefan Diggs. And these things matter to these decisions. It's not like Madden trades where there are no consequences. <laughs> right. So, you know, my, I gut feeling on that is that Kirk cousins is the starting quarterback next year. What I'd like to see them do. And I don't think they will is like you said, give him everything. Like if, if he's going to be your guy, if you're going to extend him, give him that third receiver, give him that fourth receiver, give him that guard and try to fill in the other pieces in sort of a savvy way on defense and ask your very, very good defensive minded head coach to scheme it up. That's kind of the approach I would take. I think they'll take the exact opposite approach. <laughs> Oh man, always got battle what we want, what we actually think is going to happen. And yeah, I mean, again, there's was really nothing wrong with the offense last year. If you just want to look at the largest differences in points per game rank on offense versus defense, only the Raiders and Titans were more extreme than the Vikings last year. Like, you know, everyone wants to kind of dump on Kirk and I get it. Like if you're paying the guy that much money, you do want him to be a top five quarterback, which he's not. You'd be hard pressed to find 10, 11, 12. I think at the most quarterbacks you want ahead of him. Hopefully they do what we're asking for and surround him. And that takes us to uh, kind of the Chad Beebe question where if you've ever watched the Vikings broadcast, you know he's son of Don. Uh, it's kind of the new uh, Chris Hogan plays across type thing that they just need to mention <laughs> yes. every single time. Ola BC Johnson's still on the roster, but they need to add at least one or two other receivers. It sounds like you're not very confident in them using much draft capital or offseason spending to do so, even though this is a team need. It really depends on the same sort of thing. Did you learn from the bets that didn't pay? And the answer recently has been no, not really with the number three position. I mean, a couple of years ago, they trusted Laquan Treadwell to be the number three receiver that did not work. And then they tried bringing in Kendall Wright for a minute. They cut him. And then uh, two years ago, it was Jordan Taylor and somebody else that they brought into camp. I mean, they've tried this. Tajay Sharp was that guy this last okay. off season. Like there's a, second wave of free agency. And then there is this guy probably plays in the XFL wave of free agency. And that's where they've picked up a lot of their number three and number four wide receivers. And then undrafted free agents, seventh round picks, and these bets don't pay. Uh, so at some point they have to look at it and say, even though we don't run three wide receivers all the time, I think Sean McVay has shown us this offense absolutely works if you're running out of 11 personnel and you have to have multiple playmakers to make your good quarterback, but not great quarterback. You have to elevate him with many playmakers and where you really see it show up is when it's third down and seven 
and it's double teams on Justin Jefferson. It's rolling coverage toward Adam Thielen. It's making sure that these guys don't take you away. And at one point last year in a key game against Tampa Bay, he's throwing to Tyler Conklin, their number three tight end on third downs. Now they got a couple of first downs, but you're not getting, you're not getting that as a sustainable model. I mean, and the other thing too is, they don't make life easy on cousins. They don't give him jet sweeps. They don't give him screens to receivers, bubble screens, like the things McVay did last year with Jared Goff, where you're just getting it in the hands of a playmaker and letting him go as uh, your favorite player, Cordero Patterson uh, was used in 2016, but that, that was a smart way to use them where they ran bubble screens and some reverses and things like that. They need a, an extra playmaker who can do something special where cousins doesn't have to, he doesn't have to throw a 30 yard pass down the field in order to create an explosive play. And I don't think there was enough of that last year. And you mentioned that the offense was good. I like the way you put it. There was nothing wrong with it, but if you emphasize the right words, they're like nothing wrong with it, <laughs> but also like you don't hang banners with the 11th best offense. Yeah. You hang banners with the third best offense or the fifth best offense. And I think that they're capable if they invest in that more of being a top five offense. And really, I mean, cousins in 2016, you look at his numbers and the playmakers there with Washington, it kind of points to that sort of direction. I think he's a better quarterback now. So it's, it's possible. It's just, will you do it with a defensive minded head coach? And I, I, like I said, I think the answer is no, that they'll do the same exact thing again, but maybe at some point when you get the same results over and over, you do look in the mirror and say, it's time to get a playmaker here. When you got the 11th best offense in a true bottom five defense, it's really easy to say, you know what, we're, we're fine over here. We got to address, you know, this sinking ship. But yeah, I don't think that's really in their best, uh, you know, decision making to try to compete right now in 2021, particularly with Zimmer's ability to. I think we, you know, we'd all be very shocked that they're that bad again. He should be able to coach these guys up just a little bit. And yeah, I mean, Cousins, dude, I mean, set his highest uh, Vikings average target depth last year. Like he was going downfield, make things a little easier. Maybe even right your wrongs, give your former first round pick who is now. A free agent another contract let's get cordero back in minnesota purple why not who says no i would absolutely love to see it we're gonna take a quick break to pay some bills pff and sunday night football's chris collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field 49ers all pro cornerback richard sherman the chris collinsworth podcast featuring richard sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast they'll provide the most interesting football conversations and sports every single week and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too additionally chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football mark your calendars you do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code PFF for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana. 1-800-9 with it in Virginia call 888-532-3500 sticking uh, with these, this receiver room man I mean Justin Jefferson I, I'm not writing about the end of the year like it wasn't just that he was a great rookie I mean he was a legit top five receiver 
who cares how many years you've been playing if you look at a number of efficiency stats credit to Adam Thielen caught you know a quiet 14 touchdown season that was pretty wild do you see this continuing to be a 1a 1b situation or will that target disparity that Jefferson was already leading and potentially grow into next year because these are two guys on fantasy land we're gonna have to try to make a decision on who which one do we really want to draft higher yeah, you want Jefferson, I, I'm certain of that. I mean, not that Adam Thielen looked like he was fading. It's just that Jefferson is unstoppable. Yeah. And as the season went along, you'd go back and watch the tape after games and you'd see coverage rolled his way and it didn't matter. You'd see defenses then giving him all the attention in the red zone and he would still catch touchdowns or someone else would be wide open. There were, there was a play where they lined him up in the backfield. Actually, Gary got a little creative and three guys went to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen caught a wide open touchdown. So there is some of that, that Adam Thielen has always benefited from having that other guy who is an elite wide receiver digs and now Jefferson, but there is no fraud to this. There's no, Oh man, you know, they, he accidentally caught for 1400 yards. It's not a, who was the guy? It was a David Boston was the guy who uh, had like this really crazy hot start to his career and then faded yeah. off really quickly. Or um, Michael Clayton, it was the yeah. other guy. Um, but that, that ain't this, I mean, he is the complete package as a wide receiver. And the thing I was impressed with from covering him is his personality. He is kind of a, a chill guy, but he also has a chip on his shoulder about where he was drafted. And he came into camp and immediately attached himself to Adam Thielen and said, teach me. And, and, and you could see him getting better and better at releases and route running and separation. And then there's the part where he just has, you know how Larry Fitzgerald has these freakish hands where if it's anywhere near him, he just snatches the ball. Yeah. I think it's the same thing for Jefferson, except for he's faster and he can make plays after the catch too. And last year, so he catches 1400 yards, right? And, and is one of the best receivers in the league. And yet still everyone covering the team and everyone uh, in the fan base was saying, you really should have thrown it to him more because he was that open and he was that good. And they really didn't give him many short yardage opportunities. I think it was a 50, 50 split between throws that went more than 10 yards and under 10 yards. And I mean, the way the guy makes plays, they could increase that even more with some of the short yardage stuff. So I, I really do think the sky is the limit. And I mean, I don't mean to sound ridiculous here, but I compared him after his first year to kind of like Julio Jones. Like he isn't as tall as Julio Jones, but it's the same sort of dominance where it's like, how do you stop someone with this type of power, those hands, and then with the details that he has in his route running? I mean, look, we don't want to, it's, Whenever we compare anyone to Julio Jones, they better be deserving of it. And we're talking about the guy that literally over the past two years, number one yards per target and just averaged the most yards per route run that we've ever seen from a rookie in PFF's database. You know, I think he does deserve some gaudy comparisons. I love it. And yeah, I mean, to your, your point, everything you would want an alpha number one wide receiver to be able to do, Jefferson displayed at a high level, even after teams started shifting their number one cornerbacks towards him. And I'm looking at his, you know, game log right now. He had four catches for 39 yards on eight targets against the Bucks. you know, and that's a very tough defense to get going against. Like that's the only game where it was even kind of shut down. But I'm sure if we look at the targets, maybe it tells a different story. Other than that, the only games where he wasn't going for like 100 plus or scoring, he was only getting five or fewer targets. So can certainly see why, you know, people were uh, just wanting more targets. And to uh, Kurt's credit, he did have six games with at least 10 targets from week 10 on. So if he gets that usage from week one on next year, which it sounds like we're talking a legit top 10, if not top five receiver and fantasy, everybody. All right, two more quick ones before we get to your bold offseason call. 
running back. Dalvin Cook got paid. No questions about that. I am seeing Mike Bean and Amir Abdullah as free agents. Last year, Alexander Madison, someone we were beating the drum on, you know, being one of the best handcuffs in fantasy land. Now, they had the first game against the Falcons where he burned some guys, but that was more of just honestly a bad game script. They were down like 20 points by halftime. We saw in week 17, the offense really lean on Madison. Do you expect Madison, if anything happens to Cook, to be the featured three down, you know, pretty much nothing changes. We're just going from Cook to Madison. Oh, he absolutely will be. Yes. Uh, I think they really like what they've seen from Alexander Madison. The problem is they never play Alexander Madison. (laughs) Anytime he's ever gotten a chance, there's a game against Seattle where Delvin cook gets hurt in the first half. I think Madison ran for over a hundred yards that night. I mean, he is powerful and he's more shifty than you think. And he's got good hands out of the backfield. They can trust him in the passing game that they require out of their running backs. This is another thing I think they could expand, but don't expect them to expand is throwing to running backs. But they just don't ever use them unless Delvin cook is hurt. And they talk about it all the time, how, well, you know, you need to cut back Delvin cooks workload a little bit. And then, Hey, it's a close game in the fourth quarter. And they're just handing off and handing off and handing off to Delvin cook. And that's the biggest concern that I would have going into next year is when you look at that workload and then you factor like, you know, touches per game and things like that. Cause he missed a couple games. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who would have had something like you know, 400 carries he was on a pace for in the second half of the year and over 400 touches is sort of the pace he was on. I mean, that is dangerous to me. That's playing with fire. And I went back at one point in the season and looked at guys who had over 400 touches and what happened to them the next year. I bet you've got to guess what happened to them the next year. They usually got hurt. Even Christian McCaffrey got hurt. And we're talking about a guy in Delvin Cook that has an injury history and is fantastic as he is. I think they did him a disservice in a seven and nine season of just plowing him into the line over and over and over and over again. Uh, like Marshawn Lynch said over and over and over and over and over. Uh, and he did run through a face, but um, you know, at the same time you worry about What's going to happen here with his production? What's going to happen with his health for next year? So if you're looking for that running back sort of down the trough a little bit, that's where you would go with someone like Alexander Madison because he is the lock dead number two. They're not going to spend any money in free agency on another backup running back. My guess is that they bring back those other two guys at a very cheap price. Yeah, we preach all, all last offseason on this podcast. Alexander Masson, Latavius Murray, Tony Pollard as the main three handcuffs. I think we're going to be right back in that well here in 2021. Last thing, I want to talk about the tight end position because, you know, a couple years ago, Kyle Rudolph got that five-year, $36 million extension. But you looked a little closer at it, and you're like, okay, they can get out of this thing whenever they want. Now, they haven't. And to Kyle's credit, like the guy, he's still making a couple circus catches every year. Like he's he's not washed by any extent. But Irv Smith, man, just looked so good in his opportunities. It kind of reminds me of with uh, Philly you know we're like yeah nothing wrong with Zach Ertz but oh my god Dallas Goddard's good that's what I'm getting from Irv Smith now one do you you expect Rudolph to be back in 2021 and if so could you see Irv Smith getting like more enough opportunity could that maybe be him almost emerging as number three receiver or is it just ultimately too split up to really expect either tight end to really you know take their production to the moon I would be very surprised at this point if Kyle Rudolph is still playing for this team next year because he just did an interview where he kind of bared all about his role and how frustrated he's been. And I mean, he legitimately went off. He called himself a swing tackle at one point in this interview. I mean, which I think is a little aggressive when you look at his blocking numbers, but still, I mean, he was feeling really left out of this offense. And something that I've been saying on the show for a while is Kirk, 
throw it to Kyle. Like he catches everything. Look at his catch percentage, like 80%. He catches everything. It's an easy seven yards all the time. And yet there's just never been a bond there between those two. There's never been a chemistry like there was when Kyle Rudolph played with Sam Bradford in 2016. And even with Case Keenum, he was a guy that they just trusted to catch everything you threw his way. And you think about a guy who's like six, six and his catch radius. And then he has these massive mitts, Uh, but cousins just doesn't throw to guys who are covered and Rudolph isn't fast. He's not a separation tight end. And so you kind of have to trust that it's going to be there. That's not Kirk Cousins. So this has never really worked with those two, but it especially didn't last year. And we saw the emergence of Irv Smith too. And I think if you... Uh, fiddle around with the PFF grades and sort it after week five. He's one of the top graded tight ends in the entire NFL from last year. He showed that he can block at an undersized uh, as an undersized tight end. Maybe he's like 230 pounds, but he's an average blocker, which is all you really need. And then he's got vertical abilities. He's got run after catch. And they also really liked how their number two or well, number three tight end uh, Tyler Conklin did last year at the end of the season, he could be the number two for next year. So I think Irv Smith is a guy that last year we were kind of saying, Hey, he might be someone to watch for fantasy this year. He's definitely someone to watch. Cause I think he's going to be tight end one. Love it. Yeah. I and mean, he is people, if you're looking, you know, in those later rounds, tight ends, obviously we want, we want to get a Kelsey, a Kittle, or a Waller in the first couple of rounds. If we can Er Smith, I, I'm not sure how the average drop position is going to be uh, placing out just yet, but Er Smith and also Dallas Scott if Ertz leaves town, we are talking about legit high talent tight end ones that just haven't had the chance to do so. I mean, Irv only has six career games with even five targets. He's caught at least four passes and all those. And to your point, really was coming on strong towards the end. Fantastic stuff, Matt, all the way around. Can you give us a bold offseason prediction before we get you out of here? This is hard because I want to go the easy place and say that Kirk Cousins gets traded, but I'm just, I just don't want to be that bold. I just don't (laughs) think it's going to happen, which means that the minute you run this, he's going to get traded to San Francisco, (laughs) but I will go with Daniel Hunter is gone. Um, even though Mike Zimmer would probably, you know, be dragged out of town on Daniel Hunter's leg, (laughs) trying to keep him. If he really wants to be the highest paid and you think about what defensive players have brought in terms of draft capital, I mean, Jamal Adams, two firsts, Khalil Mack, two firsts. I mean, if you're the Vikings, it might just be a situation where your cap is messed up and Hey, you're a great player, but there's just no way you can turn down so much draft capital from somebody else. So I guess I would go with that. I don't know how bold that is. Cause that's sort of been out there a little bit that it's a possibility, but trading away a guy who had the most sacks ever under the age of 25 <laughs> um, is probably a, li- a little bold, at least maybe like a six out of 10 bold. It's a what have you done for me lately league and the fact that he didn't play last year. I think people do forget just how good he can be and what he could potentially fetch. So no, I like it, man. That'll work. Uh, Thank you for coming on again, man. Everyone make sure you follow Matt on Twitter at Matthew Collar. And, you know, look, you do great Vikings reporting and and all your, you know, uh, beat writer obligations and that type of stuff are fantastic. But I like how on Twitter, you're also willing to look at the aesthetics and stuff. And you had a, you know, tweet go mini viral about who the coolest Viking QB was (laughs) of all time. Let the people know. First of all, who do you think the coolest Vikings QB is of all time? And then where they can find you at Purple Insider. I think it's Dante Culpepper. Nice. As much as uh, anybody who's listening who's from the 80s would probably say Tommy Kramer. And he got a ton of votes from, <laughs> uh, you know, Gen Z or uh, Gen X. But it, I mean, Dante Culpepper was a linebacker playing quarterback who yeah. could throw it 70 yards <laughs> and who could run over defensive players. And him and Randy Moss 
Uh, he was in a cash money millionaires video. I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than that. So I, I, I would nominate um, Dante Culpepper. And so my Twitter is at Matthew Collar. And if you want to check out Purple Insider, it's a podcast that runs every day. So just type in Purple Insider and purpleinsider.substack.com is where the writing happens. Great stuff from Matt there. Make sure you check it out. Yeah, that was a fun thread. I did not know Jim McMahon had played a year with the Vikings until I got to see him. An amazing him. year, yep. <laughs> Randall Cunningham, of course, plenty of attention as well. Again, that's at Matthew Collar on Twitter. He's Matt. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody. 